Welcome everyone. This is the Orlando Health Wellness and Resilience Podcast. Today we are meeting with uh, Dr. Havron. And Dr. Havron, if you can go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know a little bit about not just um, how we went about inviting you here, but um, what our relationship with, with each other with regards to the residency program. I think our viewers would be interested to hear that. Absolutely. So uh, I'm Will Havron. I am a trauma and critical care surgeon. I also do general surgery. And uh, uh, from an administrative standpoint, I am the director of the surgical residency program here at Orlando Health. My relationship with the wellness program has really been recently integrated into the residency program, specifically with Dr. Uh, uh, helping out with uh, not only the uh, routine wellness and checks with the residents, but also in situations where some residents may require or need a little bit extra guidance and support. Our relationship that has you know, kind of been blossoming over the past couple of years is uh, I think a great place to start with this conversation. So one of the things that I am privileged to have happen um, in my conversations with the residents is they they come and talk about their challenges, um, what they're faced with in the residency program, but ultimately they all land on their sense of support and guidance from you as the head of the program. Um, you know, certainly their respect and admiration for you. But one of the things they often ask me is, you know, why does he push wellness all of the time? Um, which I know is a bit of an exaggeration, but what what is it specifically that you're able to instill in your residents, even in their first year, to begin to understand the importance of caring for themselves so that they can care for their patients? To go back and tell a little bit of history, I mean, my residency was hard. My program director, a guy named Joe Kofer, who I still have a great relationship with today, is kind of like a second father to me. I did well in residency. I was one of those guys that could keep my head down and work and work and work and didn't get into trouble and didn't have any problems and was able to, to manage the hard parts of residency. But during residency, I went through some real, real hard stuff. I got married at an early age, well before ever starting residency. We had a child unexpectedly. You know, during my first year of residency, uh, when my then wife and I were having all kinds of marital issues, my son was diagnosed with uh, neuroblastoma. During my first year of residency as an intern, trying to manage all of the stuff that other surgical interns do, I was going to my son's chemotherapy infusions between cases. I was, I took my vacation time so that he could get operated on in, in Atlanta. I would not have been able to survive that. And ultimately, you know, my then wife and I uh, went on to get divorced. And I think that without the support of the people that were with me, not only my residents, but my faculty and especially my program director, I don't know where I'd be today without that support. Now, I learned a lot from it. You learn a whole lot about your emotional intelligence. You learn a whole lot about your mental faculties. You learn a whole lot about your resilience going through something like that. But at the same time, without that support, I wouldn't be where I am today. And so uh, the support that I got during my residency 
it's fueled me to be a residency program director. It has imparted on me the knowledge that we have the ability to impact people in a much greater way than just pushing them in the operating room and uh, pushing them to go take care of whatever it is on the floor. The way that I view surgery, the way that I view surgeons are that we have the ability to really impact the community and that's not just in the hospital. It requires a whole lot of people to get you through that. Um, and hopefully one of the days you'll turn around and help those people coming up behind you. In your role as um, trauma surgeon, and you have so many colleagues here at Orlando Health that you work with um, on a daily basis, I'm wondering if you can share a little bit of your own insight into maybe some of my frustration that I experience when I meet with physicians. They tend not to want to um, take the time to care for themselves so that they can care for their patients. Um, when you see that with your colleagues, um, how do you respond to that? For years, we have gone through school, be it medical school where you super competitive to get in, and then you fight for a, you know, a competitive residency spot, and then while you're in residency, you're learning to be the best doctor you can be, and then as junior faculty, you got to prove yourself, and then you know, kind of as the the middle fact faculty time or the time period that you're kind of in your heyday, if you will, you want to be as productive and as busy as you can be. And, you know, I see so many people that look back on their lives in their 60s and say, I was a good doctor, period, right? My father, he was probably my, was my greatest mentor of all time and, and was diagnosed when I was uh, starting medical school with leukemia ultimately passed away during my first year, we were fortunate to have that year together. And he always, when I was a kid, it didn't matter what was going on. He made the time to be baseball coach, to come to all my lacrosse games, you know, all that stuff. I remember when my brother was a senior in college and he was excuse me, a senior in high school and I was a senior in college and my dad had gone through his bone marrow transplant showed up um, with my mom to my brother's last lacrosse game and we all kind of were there and you know he's sitting there in a mask just to see it you know it's funny when I sit down I mentor a lot of medical students that want to go into surgery and all the surgery residents about their specialties or their jobs, about what they're gonna do. And I break it down into a really simple three-part question, right? What is it about you, Mary, that makes you Mary, right? What is it that you have to have to be happy, to be fulfilled, whatever it is? Not family, not job. Those are two completely separate things. So what region of the country do you need to be in, right? What is it that you do that makes you happy? Do you run? Do you read? Whatever it may be, right? And so you just list in that in that column what it is that, that it makes you you. And then you've got your family section, right? Which is may or may not be a spouse, may or may not be close relationships with your parents, friends, whatever it is, that kind of family that it is that brings you together, that camaraderie, those relationships that are super important to you and how you're going to maintain that. And then lastly, um, you know, is your career. What do you need in your job to be satisfied? What is it that makes you happy? And it, 
it'd be really easy if you could just say this is 33% and this is 33% and this is 33%, but we all know it doesn't work that way. So I try to tell them that this is all fluid, right? And you can't completely neglect one portion. Recognizing, for example, during residency, your career is gonna mandate a lot of what you do. You don't really have a choice where you go, right? This computer system, the match figures that out for you. But you have to maintain something about each one of those, recognizing that it's gonna change again. You know, every time you have a different life decision, this is still applicable, right? If I get married or enter a committed relationship, how is that going to impact this and this? What am I willing to give? What am I willing to move? What I have done, um, based on kind of my dad and, and what I've seen, is I recognize that my career, while it's not what defines me, it is a huge, huge part of my life, right? My family is a huge, huge part of my life. My life. Without my wife and my three kids at home, I wouldn't be the guy that I am today. Now, what has suffered is that are those things that I, I like to do, right? I mean. I would love to be able to go play golf every Saturday and Sunday, but I'm not going to give up four hours when I work as much as I do to go play golf with my buddies when I could be in the pool with the kids or cooking them breakfast or going on a walk with my wife. I derive joy out of that now. That helps define me. And so the, the what makes will will part kind of bled over a little bit, right? So, no, I, I don't go to the gym every day after work. I don't go run every day after work. I've recognized that as I've grown, what makes me happy and what makes me me is a combination of work and family. I try to avoid falling into that sand pit of just being a good doctor. On a more personal level, what steps have you taken in your life or in recent years to improve your own wellness, yeah. your own resilience, both, both physically and emotionally, mentally, psychologically? Doing what I do, you realize how precious life is. A lot of my job, I see people on the worst day of their lives. They were perfectly healthy and were driving to work and got hit by a car. Nobody anticipates being a trauma patient. What that gives you is the appreciation that life is very, very short, potentially. It is exceedingly precious, and nobody knows how many days we have on this earth. That by itself has given me a whole different outlook. I go home every day and can't wait to see the kids and the family. Looking at my kids growing up, I realized that I had to get healthier, right? I had to get healthier. So changing my diet, changing my exercise routine, and you know, lost a bunch of weight. I want to be here to see my kids grow up. When I speak to um, physicians and even residents, um, often they'll say, yeah, I tried this and I tried that and, you know, I know I need to take time for myself or I know I need to, you know, stick to this diet or this exercise regimen or whatever. What has allowed you, you, you mentioned that you made this decision, you said, you know what, I need to get healthier for my children, for my spouse, for myself, etc. What do you think it is about you that you've been able to, in a sense, stick to it and you, and you have moved into a healthier um, condition? If I continued down the path that I was on, I realized that, you know, I'm going to end up with all kinds of problems and not be able to do those activities. And it's just a matter of reevaluating what's important. 
the, the ability to bounce back, we talk about a lot in medicine. You know, we, we refer to the, we use the word resilience. Um, as a trauma surgeon, as a program director of a large residency program, the ability to bounce back is, is all day long for you, right? And we know that, in a sense, resilience is a way to build back up from those stressors that impact us each day. Um, what would you say to both your colleagues and, 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 and residents um, about the notion of bouncing back and building resilience? Because it's obvious to me, as you describe, both physically and emotionally, psychologically, you have a lot of resilience. Um, how, how does that come about? What would you say to your colleagues about um, how you've developed that over the years? When you talk about bouncing back, you have to be able to learn and recognize whatever you've just gone through and how it's impactful. Um, you know, you see a 19-year-old kid who gets shot in a random act of violence. There is no explanation for that, right? There is no right or wrong. There is no, uh, why does this kid get shot and, and not my high school senior? You know, you can blame whatever you want, but at the end of the day, when you sit there and you're looking at this kid who's just died in your operating room, you can't explain it, right? You can't say that this is right. You can't say that this is okay. Um, and if you don't process that appropriately, then I think that people either get exceedingly jaded or they get to the point where it just destroys them. And so figuring out how you process that and how you use that, I think is essential when we talk about bouncing back. After the pulse situation, leaving that night, so it was about four or five days after my last son was born, you know, and I was uh, taking the week off to be with my wife. She'd just come over from the hospital and got that phone call to come in and you know, told my wife, obviously nothing was on the news that early in the morning, and I just drove you know, straight to the hospital and uh, realized about 12 or 14 hours later that you know, my wife had been calling all night trying to figure out if I was okay. And <laughs> Sorry. You know, by the end of the day, by the time everything was finally done, you know, and we had gotten everything kind of in place, trauma pager goes off again, and you know, somebody had been stabbed in a completely unrelated incident. You know, I went and took care of that, took them to the operating room. By the time I finally got home, I just collapsed, you know. You think, how am I going to explain this event to my children? You know, how are they going to understand this horrible event, you know, this display of absolute hatred, you know, what can they learn from it? I mean, and so that took me a while to bounce back from, you know, I mean, I think you and I discussed that and it's not the ability to bounce back. I personally think is you build it from experience to experience to experience, which for younger physicians is much harder to do because they haven't seen that it's going to be okay the next day. They don't understand that you're going to come into work the next day and you will have learned from that case. And the next patient that you provide care to in the same situation, you're going to do it better. Uh, the outcome may be the same, but you're going to learn from each one of these. Um, and that resilience and being able to 
look at yourself and, and introspectively review how you handled it, I think is what leads to being able to bounce back. If you had to maybe give one sort of elevator speech right now to physicians that are listening, what would it be about the importance of a mentor? I think it's essential. I think it's absolutely essential. You know, one of the things that I did when I took over this program was was build in a mandatory mentoring program. As interns, the first year they come in, I assign them a faculty mentor. Each year after, they can select that individual, be it somebody in a specialty that they want or somebody they've built a relationship with. It's been a huge benefit to the program. I also use peer mentoring. So my senior residents will mentor my junior residents, especially if somebody's having difficulties or a problem. I think the people that say they've never had a mentor, those individuals that lack emotional intelligence. Thank you for that. That's a great explanation, and I hopefully you know our listeners will better understand informal mentoring. I see happen all of the time um, throughout our organization, and I don't think physicians are used to labeling it that. Um, but um, in terms of well-being, wellness, um, the resilience, that bouncing back, um, you know, we know through research that when you have those social supports around you, both professionally and personally, that your ability to sustain self and your ability to um, really with you know withstand some challenges, which as a trauma surgeon, and maybe more so as a program director, <laughs> um, you know, co- comes in handy. In five years from now, where would you like to see, in a sense, not just the residency program, but also your colleagues in, 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 in the trauma surgery area? I think that imparting in younger physicians the importance of taking care of yourself will lead to hopefully better job satisfaction or the recognition or the ability to say, you know what, I made a mistake. I'm going to go do something else. Um, the confidence to do that if needed the confidence to take control of your life at work and say, I am going to make this time, you know, I'm going to do this. And I think you're starting to see a lot of that, especially with, uh, you know, uh, different jobs like surgicalists, hospitalists that are allowing for you to really set your work schedule. You know, previously you couldn't do that. Generationally, we've become more and more focused on Um, our time away from work or outside of work, being able to let folks know that that's okay and um, that they need to prioritize things that are important to them is essential. And I think that in five years, the idea of wellness hopefully will still be on the forefront, but there will be a lot more people that feel less burnout, feel more confident in their position and more comfortable, you know, and you see less burnout and that kind of stuff. Some of those examples that you just shared with us, um, I, I can say that when I'm speaking to, to other physicians, and you mentioned the emotional intelligence, et cetera, but the examples you've given, I, I typically will frame in this notion of being present. And what I think you have um, done exceptionally well um, <laughs> in your career and in your um, personal life is to be present. I hope that's a message that our listeners will take from um, from this conversation as well as um, all of the other things. So I want to just finish by thanking you so much for your willingness to not just be here, give us your time and your talent and your insight. So thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. It was a, it was a very good talk, and I've, uh, I've enjoyed it a lot. Thank, thank you, you for the opportunity. Absolutely.